in addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good afternoon. It's 5.30 p.m. Monday drive time, and welcome to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and along with Bob Moffat, I co-host this radio show where we have people come on, brothers and sisters who have lived a life searching and living for Jesus Christ. And today we're blessed to have our very own Marcus Doe. Marcus from Tucson, so welcome to the show. Thank you, Julian. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Marcus, you know, on this show, we're uh, focusing on how people are reaching out to be Jesus's hands and feet. How are they making the Word of God come to life in people's life? And, uh, you know, you and I were talking about another matter, and uh, we were just sort of talking about your life, and uh, I was just sort of blown away by the events that have taken place in your life and how God was using them in order to build you into the person that you are and the things that you now do. So, Marcus, tell us first of all, going going backwards, tell us a little bit about your life history, going back from when you were a child. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to kind of cross paths with you, uh, being in Tucson. So it was it was really helpful to have a conversation with you, a couple of conversations. Uh, I grew up in a little country in West Africa called Liberia, and Liberia, uh, little known to most Americans, is just a uh, a country of about 5 million people. I grew up there, you know, in the 80s. Uh, Liberia was founded by freed slaves from the United States in the 18, 1840s, uh, became independent in the 1840s. Uh, a lot of people, when the transatlantic slave trade ended, a lot of Liberians, a lot of Americans, uh, black freed slaves, made their way to West Africa um, in order to find freedom, to find a place of liberty, and to establish uh, a place of their own uh, in West Africa. So they they left America, a few ships landed, and they got in contact and they formed this little country that was basically a almost a carbon copy of what they had experienced in America. So there are cities in Liberia named after American presidents. Hmm. Uh, the language is, is English. Um, the flag is almost the same as one star instead of 50. The government is president, Congress, kind of same things. Uh, so Liberians were never colonized like the rest of West Africa by either the French or the British. We were we were basically founded by freed slaves from the United States. But when those freed slaves got to Liberia, they met native people there. And they've, they've always been kind of a contentious relationship, be it an existing one with the people there. Um, between the natives and what we Liberians call American Liberians, all the descendants of freed slaves. Mm. So yeah, a lot of connections. Whenever I have conversations with African Americans here, I tell them I eat the same foods that you eat. <laughs> I ate back home, collard greens and chicken and all those things. And they think, well, yeah. And we mix it with, you know, native <laughs> American foods. So, so, uh, so you're, you're in Liberia, you're in, uh, and then, um, 
well, then what happened? I mean, uh, now you're in Tucson. It's a big jump. What what happened in between then? <laughs> what a big jump. Uh, so I grew up in Liberia. I was born in 79. I'm the last of six children of my parents. My father was the assistant director for administration for the Secret Service of the country. And my father had worked for three different presidents, the last of whom was a military dictator who had taken over in 1980. And his name was Samuel Doe. And we don't have any relation. My last name's Doe. Right. We don't have any relationship. But when President, when Samuel Doe took over in this military coup, he he killed a lot of ministers and a lot of government officials who were in the previous regime. Uh, and one of the few people he kept alive was my father and a few other people. And my father worked in a secret service, uh, what's called the SSS, in Liberia all throughout the 80s. And Liberia was a very volatile place in the 1980s because it was a military government. President Doe or Samuel Doe was really nervous about opposition. So a lot of political opposition were exiled. And they were always, constantly, they were coup attempts against President Doe's life. Mm. Several people wanted to take over the government because he was he was a poor leader, economically very poor, but the U.S. poured a ton of money into Liberia during the 80s uh, because there were, like, there were American interests as far as communication mm. uh, in Liberia. Um, the Voice of America that serviced West Africa, American troops used Liberia as a staging place for the North African invasion during World War II. Mm. I think President Roosevelt visited Liberia. So a lot of American interests, Firestone Tires, has a huge rubber plantation in Liberia. So a lot of American interest in Liberia okay. during this time. But Doe mismanaged a lot of those things. And uh, and basically people began tiring of President uh, Doe because he had rigged an election and made himself a civilian leader. And he was going on and on. So by the late 80s, um, people were so fed up with like, with so fed up with President Doe's leadership that there was a an invasion um, of Liberia by a man named Charles Taylor okay. from the mm-hmm. north of Liberia. Charles Taylor was imprisoned in the United States and managed to escape and ended up back in North Africa and back in West Africa. And he started a um, wow. a war from the north and okay. quickly, over, quickly overtook the country within six months. Yes, Julian. No, no, no. I said, I said, wow. Okay. <laughs> so like, you know, this Taylor guy, you know, uh, but I don't, don't you, you keep going. I've just, you know, my, my wowing's interrupting. So, so you, you, so all this chaos in, uh, Liberia and then, and then what was the culmination and, and what, what, what happened to you and your people? So I'm 11 years old and in the middle of 1990, Taylor's forces reached the capital city of Liberia, Monrovia. And my father, we heard on the radio that Taylor was, 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 his forces were ruthless towards people of Samuel Doe's tribe, anyone who worked for the government, anyone with the last name Doe, because they, they assumed that you were related to the president. So they were, they were killing. Basically, it ended up being kind of an ethnic situation that his soldiers were exterminating people of certain tribes. And because of that, it became very difficult for us to escape the country. And Taylor had taken over the international airport and there were no roads out of the country. So we couldn't escape as a family. Mm. So my father, knowing that his life was in danger and our lives were in danger, decided to send his kids, us, into hiding. And he sent me in early June of 1990 
to go into hiding with my older brother who had just gotten married and lived on the other side of the city. So I left my home at 11 years old and went across town to live with my older brother. Uh, a few weeks later, maybe a month later, Charles Taylor's forces reached our neighborhood and, and took over our, the area in which we lived. Mm. And those were the people who were wanting to kill people like me. And so we, we, we escaped, we're in hiding, we're behind, they're, we're in their territory. Um, and I saw, I saw massive, I saw bodies along the street when, when that day came for us to move. And it was, it was, it was tyranny, uh, that I didn't expect. And what I didn't expect and what made me even more afraid for my life was that a lot of the, the, the soldiers doing the killings were, were child soldiers. They were teenagers, um, some as, as young as I was at 11 at that point, mm. and they were ruthless and, and un, uh, very unmerciful. I, I saw that and I thought, man, I, I probably won't make it through this war. Eventually, I will get caught and I will get killed. So, so how did you get out? So a few months later, we lived behind Taylor's lines for uh, a few months mm. and uh, eating one meal a day. Um, not a gourmet meal by any chance, no clean water, anything like that. Because the situation in Liberia had gotten so dire and those forces were in the hold up in the kind of the downtown area of the capital city and Taylor's forces, the opposition actually split into two different armies. So there was a there was kind of a warlord situation. It became a three sided conflict in a small city Mm. that no one army had the power to overtake the other two. So it, it was just the city just lay in siege and they fought and fought and fought. The, the other West African countries noticed that, man, this situation in Liberia is really dire. So Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal, Guinea, and just the neighboring countries decided they were going to send troops to Liberia because it became a, a humanitarian crisis. Okay. Um, people ask me, how come I never heard of this war? <laughs> I never heard of this situation. Yeah. It's because right when that was happening was when the first Gulf War was happening when Saddam Hussein had invaded Kuwait. Right. So the world's attention was over there. And this is the same time uh, this thing is happening in Liberia and people are dying. And how, how, so, how, how did you get to Ghana? So the peacekeepers came and they took over uh, some of the territory outside of the city, pushed Taylor's forces out of the area and, and started taking people out of the country that had dire medical needs, uh, Severely malnourished uh, people who had been injured, um, yeah, X, Y, and Z. So my brother's wife was was pregnant at the time, yeah, and she needed medical attention. And her, her family, my brother, we were all able to get onto this this supply ship in the port of Monrovia that brought in um, brought in military supplies for the peacekeepers. And so we were able to get permission, some way, somehow, to get on the ship. Not a luxury liner by any means. We got on the ship, slept on uh, kind of the bed of the ship. I wasn't sure. I didn't know where the ship was going. Mm. I was just happy to be out of wow. Liberia, to be out of the war after about a year. Um, so we, we, we got on the ship. The ship left Liberia in November of 1990. We're on, this, we're on the sea for about two days, and mm. we landed in Ghana. And I was officially a refugee. Mind you, at this point, I don't know where my father is. I don't know where the rest of my siblings are. Um, I don't know where any other family members are. So I'm living in Ghana, briefly in a refugee camp. But then my brother and his wife found work, and we moved. They moved. We moved out of the refugee camp. But um, I started going to school in Ghana. I had to learn two two languages, partially two languages, to be able to exist 
and play with my friends outside of school. The turning point, I think, uh, Jer- uh, Julian, the turning point was uh, my brother and his wife decided they were going to go back to Liberia because the peacekeepers had they had signed a peace agreement in Liberia, so things had quieted down. So they went back to Liberia to see if they could find any family members in the chaos of the aftermath of the conflict. Um, and they went back. I stayed in Ghana, but when they came back, my brother brought me a letter that explained that my father um, had been captured, um, interrogated, and, and murdered. Oh boy! Um, to take us to take the story back two steps, my mother had also died the year before the war mysteriously. So I was an orphan. Um, I didn't know it, but I had been an orphan for about a year, uh, living in another country. So I lost, um, I lost a lot. And I came to the came to the conclusion that God really didn't uh, not care, but I had trouble understanding God in the midst of all of that. Mm. Um, I we used to go to church. I went to Awana groups, and we sang the song "Red and Yellow, Black and White." They are precious in His sight, and I couldn't see how I was precious in God's sight at that point. Um, so I made a vow to myself as a 12-year-old that one day I was going to find a man who killed my father and I was going to exact some revenge um, as a 12-year-old. Wow. Well, if you're listening, you're hearing the story of our brother, <clears throat> Marcus, and uh, how he um, escaped tyranny from his country and became a, a refugee. You're listening to The Kingdom and its stories, and my name is Julian Gibb. But back to you, Marcus. So, so you uh, Ghana had been, uh, you know, uh, humane enough to, to let to let you in, you and uh, and then and then and then what happened? So, so then uh, then you had another move. Yeah, I, I'm in Ghana for three years. Uh, about halfway through that process, my brother and his wife return, and we they decide that we can't go back to Liberia because Liberia still isn't safe. So we applied and went through the process um, to become refugees, to immigrate to the United States. And that process is long. And I would like to spend some time here really quickly. Uh, The interviews, um, the vetting process to come to America is a very long and exhaustive process uh, to, to, to validate that you say you are who you are for them to do their homework. So I went through, you know, the interview process and was granted permission to come to the States I think in November of 1992, and then everything, and, think, and then and then from that point, everything was wonderful. You you'd, you'd arrived in the promised land, and uh, <laughs> hooray! End of interview. I had heard about America, and the things that I had heard about America were, you know, were really positive things. But You're one true? of the things yeah. that I heard that, that troubled me was the weather, right? Because <laughs> I was a bare, I was a barefoot boy. I had never seen temperatures below 75 degrees. And I landed in Boston on March the 31st, right uh, right after a snowstorm. And it was brutal. I wanted to go right back. Um, but the transition to America was, was way harder than I expected. Mm. My school transition was tough. I did not, because I spoke English just fine. So a lot of my teachers and counselors and school officials just assumed that I had transferred from just another school in the country or the county. So I was handed a schedule, handed books, and and basically left to go figure things out. And as a result, I struggled socially. I struggled mm. um, a lot of ways. I mean, I, we were poor, so I didn't have clothes. Um, I was on free lunch. 
Um, I just didn't get it. I didn't do well in school at all. The teachers spoke way too fast. And part of it is kind of, uh, in my end, I was too too afraid um, mm. and too ashamed to talk to my teachers about the troubles that I was having, both in my mind and, and with academics. Whenever the room would get quiet in, 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 um, in the classroom, we're taking a test or something, my brain would go back to the war. Mind you, I still don't know if my, the rest of my siblings are alive. Mm. And the war is still going on in Liberia. And so I, you try to make sense of that. And I went through high school just in a cloud of hatred, a cloud of sadness. Right. I can't tell you how many nights I cried myself to sleep, realizing that I would never see my parents again, or I may never see my the rest of my siblings again. So, so, um, so it, in your mind, so basically you've been thrown out of your country, you know, you've become an orphan, you know, you're by yourself in a wonderful yet strange country, uh, you know, things don't make sense to you. And so, and so you've got, you, you must have this psychological stress and tension constantly gnawing away at you. And uh, I mean, I mean, uh, what, you know, uh, and as you were saying, you know, like, you know, uh, thoughts of revenge. I mean, it's kind of like someone has done this to me and someone must pay. Uh, now you know Absolutely. I'm not. I'm not going to go into into that. You know, if if you want to learn more about that, everyone read his book, Catching Rice Birds. You can buy it on uh, everywhere, no doubt. So, um, but but how did you how did you overcome with the fact that you had been stripped of everything? You know, your family, your character, your money. You know, um, how how did you overcome this this hatred? So I'm I'm uh, about 24 years old. And I had prayed a prayer back when I was 19, when I was in a really hard place, couldn't go to college, was just kind of languishing in the streets uh, outside of D.C. Um, by 24, I was reading the Bible one morning and I read the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, I read that 150,000 times. I don't know how many times. But at the end of the Lord's Prayer, the verse right after that, Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, Jesus talks about forgiveness, and he says, if you haven't forgiven those who, who have done something to you, this is my paraphrase, I will not forgive you. Mm. And at that point, my Christianity really hadn't reached to the point where I was in the process of thinking about forgiveness. I still had this hatred towards this man, you know, that made me an orphan. Like, I couldn't, I had nobody in my corner. So I had to face the fact that I needed to forgive the man who made me an orphan. Mm. And it took years. Mm. Um, I started seeing the counselor and we worked through what it would be like to sit face to face with the man who, who, who made me who I, where I was, who basically changed my life forever. Um, and so at age 31, 20 years after I left, I left Liberia. Yeah. I decided to buy a ticket and go back to Liberia huh. and find the man and have a conversation with him and tell him that I forgave him and I'm actually here for people like him um, in reconciliation. Because the Bible says, I mean, I think it's Ephesians 2 says, we've all been given a ministry of reconciliation uh, in some way, shape, or form. And I felt like this was my this was my sense of reconciliation. So I bought the ticket, went back. I will say this. When I went back after 20 years, the war had ended. Uh, my siblings were all alive. 
it was the greatest reunion that you can you can you can imagine. It was a long flight to get back to Liberia. And when I got back, my brothers and I stayed up all night, basically telling our stories to each other. We laughed, we cried, we we celebrated, we mourned. I mean, I asked at one point in our conversation, I probably asked for eight to ten people in a row, and they told me that person was no longer alive. Wow. And I started walking the neighborhood, and because no one really talks about the war in Liberia. A lot of people in my old neighborhood assumed that I had died in a war because no one talks about it and no one had seen me in 20 years. So when I would go greet people that I used to hang out with and talk to, they they were almost, they were in tears. And um, and it was just an amazing time in Liberia. And I, I shared this before, but I was so happy being in Liberia. I gained 27 pounds in five <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i'm i'm good at that gaining weight thing as well so but uh so i mean i mean it's all good you know we're, we're gonna have to have you back because like there's a whole a lot of story here that i want to go through and uh and i don't want to do the disturb this service of squeezing it into 30 seconds so um but but i want to know is you know there's there's a big jump from saying okay i'm gonna forgive someone you know the, the god tells me i need to forgive you know to love my enemies you know uh but but it's a big jump from like reading it believing it and doing it you know actually making that that intellectual ascent come down to the heart where you can actually feel that forgiveness so uh i don't know how long we've got left but uh to tell me a little bit about that journey how does that how did you come from 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 accepting it in your brain to, to making it down to your heart i had to i had to sit with god for long for years um sit at that point i was a single guy so i would sit in my living room and actually talk to an empty chair as if the man who had who had i had hated for so long was sitting in my living room with me and i would cry and i would yell and i would scream and i would and I, and and, I, and then i would cry and i would practice saying I forgive you. And I just pictured him indifference. What if he was indifferent? You know, what if he was angry? What if he didn't care? What if he chose to fight me? What if he was repentant? How would I, how will I engage all of that? And so it took me years um, to get through that. Uh, and it was, I, I can't say how difficult it was um, to walk through, the, through that process. But yeah, I think did, did, that's where I was for a few years. Did it require uh, God? Did it require supernatural assistance? Or was it, I mean, how, uh, you know, it sounds, from what you're saying, it sounds like you trained yourself into into forgiving, you know, which is something like, you, you, did you constantly have to go back to God and say, all right, I, I, yeah. I, I'm going to forgive this guy, but today I want to kill him, you know, so will you help me to, to get to where you want me to be? Yeah, I wasn't doing it out of my own strength uh, because I could not do it out of my own strength. Um, and still to this day, I think I, I still have like a uh, like a sentiment towards him that is complete is 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 friendly now. But it was I had to work with God in that that God Jesus came and forgave me for the things that I had done, and I am in no high position to look down on someone because of something they had done, even though it's, it seems really terrible. Um, I had to come to the, come to grips with, it wouldn't bring my father back um, if I did anything to him. 
And I just could not live with myself because it was a cloud. I couldn't have relationships in any way, shape, or form until I had addressed, addressed this elephant in the room of my life Oof. that just that just held me. Um, it was actually eating me uh, more than I was that I was that I than I understood. I think I'll stop there. So this the, 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 this focus, this desire to to revenge. To, as you say, to murder was uh, actually murdering you, killing you. Absolutely, absolutely. I went through my twenties. I mean, just being—it it affected me mentally, emotionally, and any relationships that I had were very, very shallow. I didn't want people to know who I really was and what was really eating me inside when I was by myself. So, Marcus, can we have you back? Absolutely. Right. The second part of the story is is. <laughs> Is is a God story. Uh, it's beautiful. Absolutely, I would be glad to come back. Yes, yeah, good because I've I've tried to squeeze too much into a, a thirty second block, but we would love to have you back. So, people listening, uh, do tune in because the uh, the following week we're going to have Marcus back giving the other side of his story. This is the Kingdom and its stories. May the Lord bless you. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on the Kingdom and its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.